I don't have a sermon this morning. All the years that I've been doing what I've been doing, this is one of the only times I can ever remember that I didn't have a sermon. I was working on one. I had something that was brewing. It was in the oven looking pretty good. And then I heard the news about the tragedy up in Connecticut, and it just took all the wind out of me. I don't know about you folks. I'm sure everybody that knows details about it had been affected by it. I couldn't work on anything. I even went through the last 20 years of sermons, looked in many folders, lots of titles, tried three or four of them, and they all died. They were all squalling, squealing for help, and I just put them back. Last evening, yesterday afternoon, before I went home, and I just said, well, I've never walked out here before and said, I'm done. I don't have anything to say, but I do have some things to say today in light of what happened. I scribbled a few notes down yesterday afternoon before I went home. I scribbled a few notes down and tried to organize them somewhat so I could uh, get my comments some kind of order to them. So I'm just going to talk to you all this morning. I do have a couple of scriptures that I need to reference, but I know that you know about this tragedy that happened, the deaths that took place. Every one of my children have a child that age, the first graders, almost. I guess if Annabelle and Reese, I don't know if she's a first grader or not, but I got a little kids like that as a grandparent, and I could only imagine listening to all of this, of the kind of sorrow and despair and grief that at least 20 parents had, plus the other adults who were killed in that school. At this time of year, you know, with all of their Christmas preparations and the trees and all the photographs and the little school plays and the the school festivities, I went to one the other night. You know, little kids are really cute. They lose their cuteness when they grow up because they become problems. But (laughs) when they are little like that, they're really cute. When people lose them, it's probably one of the most devastating things that I could imagine. I don't think there's an amount of money you wouldn't get, borrow, any hill you wouldn't climb or race you wouldn't run or place you wouldn't go, anything you could do to get that child back. And there's that kind of despair. There's no invention of man. There's no drug pill. There's nothing ever come up with in the medical world that can change what happened. I mean, it's done. And for lots of people, even the church-going people, it's just a moment of despair. I've tried to put myself in that situation. If I was a pastor to one or two or three or a number of those people, what would I say to them? And I sat there and realized, I don't know what I would say. I don't have a clue what I would say. What would somebody say to me? I don't know. It was a tragedy. It was an absolute tragedy. And I'm speaking, first of all, this morning from the natural human side that I realize I still am. I've shed tears over this. I've listened to some stories, and these hot, burning tears come to your eyes. And I'm not trying to help it. I'm not saying I can't help it. There's just a part of me, you know, that lives in this world, and I see things, and I feel things. And I can try to put myself in other people's places and wonder, how will they cope with this? I mean, you know, you talk about 
21st graders, they can't do anything. They can't defend themselves. They couldn't throw a rock the length of the hallway. They couldn't pick up a chair and throw They can't defend themselves. They're helpless, harmless and helpless. It's just a tragedy that, you know, they died the way they died. We can't change it. We can't go back and say, well, it didn't happen. It did happen. You have to deal with it. We have to talk about it. We don't have to, but we're going to. Because there's two sides here, and I'll be careful with the spiritual side, but the very human side of us has to realize that this world's full of this stuff. And it always has been. And it's never going to go away. And, you know, while the world is clamoring about getting rid of guns, a gun is not the problem. You could put a gun in prison. You could lock it up in a big cell in solitary confinement. You could put the gun in a cell, lock it up, and you can't change the heart of the people that used it. There's millions of weapons in this country by millions of people that never would do that. But it's just like our warfare. We're not wrestling with flesh and blood. We're wrestling with the spirit that's behind it all that has found a way into people's lives that it can warp their minds and warp their thinking and just make everything out of touch and become not human anymore, but something that is demonic, demonized. I looked up the word tragedy. You know, I know what tragedy is. We've used it our whole life, but it's something that is dreadful, disastrous, mournful calamity. Anything that has to do with tragedy is something that none of us ever want to experience. We never look forward to it. We know about it. We've seen it happen to other people. It's a time of confusion and people are asking why, how come? It's not right. It's not fair. And that's true. And so there's this time of frustration and and mental anguish and struggle. I did. I don't know any of those people. But everything over there that happened bothered me, probably more than the October 06 slaying of those Amish kids. Ten little girls were shot. Five of them died. That really bothered me that there is a kind of person that could do that with the people that they did it to. It's just horrible. But 20 little first graders... I mean, I have first graders as his grandfather to first graders. One of them came in my office this morning. All I could do was hug her. I just hug her because, oh, man, I'm glad I got you. You're really, really important to me. I put a lot of value on you, and I want you with me all my life because you're really something to me. And all of our children are to each of us. And it's really a tragedy when they're taken out of our lives the way that they were. It's just a time of mourning and a time of calamity and for the people over there the loss of someone they loved and people in that town probably knew each other and it's just a time of sorrow it is it's just an awkward time and it's a difficult time and again i think it brings tears i heard a teacher being interviewed in one of the classrooms while the shooting was going on and and the fear that it was going to next be her room And she said that she turned to all of her kids, I think 16 of them, she had them huddled in a corner. And she said, I want you all to know I love you and that I always will. And she said, I don't know if you're going to live or die. And I thought, you know, you don't really know how much you love anybody until you realize you're about to lose them. 
And then love has a greater meaning. And if you could just keep that and walk away, if you survive that situation, she and all of her kids did, keep that and take it with you. Don't ever forget what you said and what you meant when you said that. It was a difficult time talking about all the little kids are waiting for their presence under the tree and got their name on it and how the parents enjoy the laughter. There's no better sound in the world than the laughter of children. There's nothing that is more beautiful than to hear a child laugh. I like to tickle mine. I like to hear them laugh because they're precious to you. And I'm sure that these people are just devastated, just absolutely devastated and angry. Angry. The shifting mentality in this country, and I don't want to keep going back, say, from when I was a kid, but things have changed so much in our country in attitudes that when things happen that should not happen, we start looking for somebody to blame. And when you can't put your finger on one specific thing, then you, you usually turn to blame God. Why didn't you stop this? What kind of a God are we serving that he would let something like this happen? At least for the first time in their life, they admit that God is sovereign, that he's in control of all the things in this world. They don't know much about the devil who can gain a right to people's lives because they never wanted to hear that. See, this is the spiritual side. I ought to be careful about all of this because this is not a time to point the finger, but a time to call attention to. All the opportunities that people in church have had to learn how to war in this life and how to protect yourself and cover yourself and shelter yourself with what God provides so that things like this can't happen, didn't want to hear it, didn't want to listen to it, didn't have any interest in it. You know, we're just the exception. We don't need it. And then one day something like this happens, and you're bewildered. The coroner was telling in his report of all the 30-plus years he's been a coroner with accidents and decayed bodies and identification and deaths and mangled people. He said he's never seen anything as bad as this was. He said all of these children were shot multiple times. And you think, why? Who could do such a thing? Well, the devil would. He used a young man, a kid, 20-year-old kid, but he still did it. He did and I consider the aftermath of all of this the worst part's yet to come. You know, they had to leave the kids laying in the room, and then they have to come in, take the pictures, and do all that work, the police work. That's necessary. And then they have to take each one of the kids to some place where they do the rest of that work and make sure they fill out the reports accurately and get everything done exactly right. Then they call the parents to come and, and identify their children or take their children to the funeral home, whatever they do. And then it's that period of time in there in which there's no answers to anything that you could ask. Nobody knows what to say. And that's what grieves me because I try to put myself where they are. And I convince myself, I can't come out here and talk about this. I'm not going to do that, but I am. Because what happened over there can happen anywhere. Nobody's an exception. Our schools doesn't have the National Guard around them. Our church doesn't have police around here to guard the doors. It wasn't long ago somebody burst in a church for some kind of a Indian setup, 
temple or something over in the east and kill people? How do you know it won't happen to you here or us or me? I mean, how do you know? They've even, somebody said, got a law now that preachers can bring guns to church. Well, that'd be good. That'd be good. I saw a nice rig the other day, you know, fast draw. You could unhook your, what kind of a day are we living in? I don't remember things like this when I was growing up. I remember out in Texas when a guy shot a bunch of people from a tower, but they were all adults, grown people. What kind of an hour are you all, this generation, and when somebody, you young folks age, could snap so badly that he could kill without any regard? A teacher, 20 babies, 20 kids, his own mother, and then kill himself. He murdered himself at the end. What's wrong? That's the natural side of me. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Without getting real emotional, which I'm not going to do, I, I don't know anything else I can say. But I can ask you as a, from the spiritual side, and again, I want to be careful how I say all of this, because I know it's not a time to point the finger. But it is a time to warn all of you that this is not a game we're playing. This is not a luxury we have of just coming in here and dressing up and hearing a sermon and going out to eat and having a good time today. We've been told too many times how important it is to hear what we say and for you to do what was said and to examine what you said to see whether or not you believe it. It's vital. It's your life. So I want you to turn and open your Bible to Romans chapter 1. Because I'm looking for an answer. Is there an answer to what happened over there? Is there something we can point to scripturally as Christians to help us understand what happened over in Newtown, Connecticut at a school called Sandy Hook School? Is there anything? Now, I believe these are warnings. He's talking to the Jewish people as to why they were rejected. But I believe there are warnings here that would relate to the end time. Things that we read then that were said, which also can be added to specifically the time that we're in right now, the last days. And you can relate to this. It began in verse 24 and 25 and 26, talking about the change in people's sexual preferences. I don't know how this works. I don't know how this can be. As somebody in any age you grow up in, when you see men who burn with lust for men and women who burn in their lust for women, personally, I don't get it. It is absolutely senseless. That's the craziest thing, but we're, that's the age. He said here in verse 24, but it says that God gave them up to this. It's almost like we're supposed to read it like this. If you're persistent in doing something you want to do that God says you shouldn't do, God will let you do it, and he won't restrain you. That would be a way of saying that God gave them up. Not that there can't be a recovery and a deliverance and all of that, but people that do that, it said God gave them up. 
As I said in verse 27, the men left the natural use of the woman and burned in lust towards one another, men with men. And you could say women with women doing things which are indecent and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was necessary. They'll die in their sins like that. Things will come their way that can't be stopped. Things will happen because this is a gross sin. But God begins by identifying a trait that will come into society. Our government, you know, says this is fine. Our president approves of this. The leaders in Congress are as old as I am. I mean, they grew up at a time that I did. They approve of this. They think it's all right. If you want to do that, we think it's fine. And I think it's a tragedy. Because the end result of this is death and hell. But let's go on verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, I look up the word retain. I did do a little study that said here they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. The word simply means refused. It was not deemed worthy. Like I heard what was said. Now listen to me. And in this time of my life and the way I live and the, my attitude about life, and I hear what God says, I don't think I'm really willing to accept that as what I'm going to do. Therefore, I refuse it and I reject it. It's what we get the word, as we said, today, ignorance comes from this because you start ignorance with ignoring. I ignore what God said. And I open myself up to the trash that's about to come into a given place to in my life because of a choice I made to ignore what God said. Well, it says here in verse 28, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And then it says that God did what? Verse 29, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. The word reprobate means disapproved. It is a mind, no matter how it thinks or what it does, it's unacceptable because it's governed not by God or sensibilities toward God. It's governed by natural things. I just wondered in the midst of all of this going on, I wonder how many of all these parents and all these people that are mourning and all the little churches that were open that night packed which indicates that people know that nobody can do anything here. Hopefully we can get something from God. Yet they don't necessarily think like that through the week. It's like God is somebody you turn to when nobody else can help you or you're at the end of a rope and God, can you do anything? But they wonder why nothing ever happens and why God doesn't speak. And if you told them it's because of all those things times you've had an opportunity to deal with this, you didn't want to. Then they're mad at you. It's like the preacher can't win. You tell the truth and people are mad at you because people that have had a bad time, they disapprove of what you say. Church is supposed to be a place where you're nice soft tones and a nice soft choir and nice soft colors and everything is psychological. It's, it's designed to make you comfortable and hopefully the message will make you happy. That's what church is supposed to be. And you leave out sin, you leave out holiness, 
You leave out living right, drinking and carousing and living together and running around in nastiness because then people get offended. You get offended when you do that. Oh, I can't believe he would say that. Just don't like to retain God in their knowledge. I'm trying to tell you this morning what I know, absolutely know to be true. That is a grave problem with church members and church-going people. They pick and choose what they want to hear, when they want to hear it, if they want to hear it. And they set aside anything that's too much of a challenge or too different from everybody else. And they just set it aside and refuse it. Don't like to retain that. I just don't see it that way because we are learning that we're all little gods. Everybody is right in his own eyes. Men did that was right in their own eyes in the Old Testament. Who's to tell them they shouldn't do that? They left the law out. People leave the Bible out today. They don't go by the word of God. Who are you, preacher, to tell us that we ought to live by that book? I have my own rights. I have rights to my body. If I want to engage in illicit sexual behavior, conceive a child, and then get rid of it, it's my business. Nobody else's business. You're living in a day when nobody feels like they have a right to tell anybody anything. And when the preacher does, oh, who does he think he is? You're living in a time right now, as I'm talking, that this is a prevailing spirit that's in this world, especially in the American church. And when things happen, it's tragic. It's just absolutely tragic. Look at verse 29. Verse 29 through verse 31, there are 23 characteristics, 23 traits of what happens when people turn away from God. Are you listening? There are things here, 23 identified traits, God-given, spirit-breathed traits by which God identifies people who have turned away from him. Notice verse 29 begins by saying, being filled with all. That's a lot. All is a bunch. And he begins to mention things. For example, in verse 29, he mentions these words, wickedness, maliciousness, murder, and malignity. Does your Bible say something like that? Now, God mentions this, and we've just seen it. And we know chances are pretty good chance because people get whacked over stuff like this. And maybe if out of notoriety, maybe I can do something worse. People are strange. They're demonic. But God describes it for us in this quiet setting this morning, in this comfortable place we're in, with these words. Let me just review them. Wickedness. The word wickedness, I'm going to give you a definition. A Greek definition. Wickedness means an evil disposition. Wickedness. Malice. Badness. Badness. There's a love affair with badness in our country. I'll get to it in a minute. It's called violence. It's everywhere. People are talking about it, but it goes with this word badness. The word maliciousness. An endeavor. It means an endeavor to do evil to others. Evil in a moral sense, meaning wickedness of heart. Men's hearts turned away from God and they're filled with 
this. Another word, murder. The word murder has particularly to do with slaughter. And how much slaughter do we read of in the paper today that's happening? In the, how about the drug cartels killing people and doing evil to people that they kill, boiling them, just doing things that are wicked beyond the imagination? You say, did they have parents? Their parents didn't know any more than they did. God was nothing, had nothing to do with their lives except maybe how to make a cross. That's the only thing they knew about God. And the heart became rampantly evil. Just run to do evil, like the book says. This run to do evil, hateful, loathsome. The word malignity, again, means bad, evil, ill-natured. We're describing personalities and people that God pre-described for us. If we had taken note of all of this, we would realize that this world is full of this. We see it everywhere all the time and should not be alarmed so much when it happens because we are told that it is going to happen. It just happened the other day. Verse 30, he mentions inventors of evil things. Somebody has to sit down and design what he or she is going to do and how bad they're going to do it. Something has to roll through their mind that captures their affections to do something. You say, well, that's terrible and evil. But, you know, you can reach a point in which evil and terrible doesn't mean anything to you, especially if you know you're going to kill yourself anyway. I mean, there's no restraints. I mean, you can shoot your mother right in the face. I mean, just point blank, your mother, how can you do that? They did it. They did it in this society that we're in. One who is evil in himself and as such gets others in trouble is an inventor of evil things. In verse 31, he says, without natural affection. That's not talking about homosexuality there. It's talking about family love. A sorgos or a sorgos. Without natural family feelings. It would include abortion because the child should be connected and bonded with the mother in such a way that the, uh, the mother's dedicated to this baby. And when you can have an abortion, there's something really wrong with you. There's something wrong with the people who do it. And as far as I'm concerned, there's something gravely wrong with the doctors who would do it. Those of you that are close to my age, you know that there was a time that you that wouldn't even have been considered to do an abortion like that. In the late terms, if you've got enough money, you can buy anything today, I guess. And the people in our government vote that it's okay. Listen, folks, we're in the last days. All I'm telling you is that what happened wasn't something that, how could this be? It started somewhere, and these are the traits of people that it was already in. It just one day it snapped. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm sure you're all familiar with verse 1. This know also that in the last days... 
perilous times shall come. We just saw it. It's still fresh in my mind. Not as emotional as it was two days ago. And time has a way of getting you away from what you remembered and go back to where you were. I don't know that I'll ever forget what happened. Any more than I can get out of my mind, somebody lining 10 little girls up and shooting them. It's so senseless. But there are people in our society like that. You don't know who they are. They don't have tags on their shoulder. They don't one day announce they're going to do something, but they do it. But he says, in the last day, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. This word perilous is only used twice in the New Testament. The other time it's used, it described the Gadarene demoniac. You remember that? And uh, the pigs running over the sea and all of that. The man in Gadara. And he was called fierce. He was fierce. And this word fierce is the same as perilous times. And the Bible says this, no. So it's something the church should be aware of. Somebody should announce that to us. This, no. Also, that in the latter times, in the last days, fierce, perilous, tragic, calamity will come on this earth. Sorrow will come on people who cannot deal with it. Luke 21 talks about in the last days, men's hearts will fail them because of fear. Who will be next? Will it be us? Will it be our schools? Will it be something somewhere else? What kind of a strange person will be inspired by all of this to take his place in history as another lunatic? Who? How do we know? I mean, it happens. But he said this, know that in the last days, difficult, perilous times shall come. Why are they perilous? Let me just mention a few things. I jotted these down. One, because this is an age of violence. This is an age in which people like violence. I don't have any of these, so I cannot speak accurately. I can only speak with an opinion about video games. If I were a parent in this assembly right here, and my children had any kind of video game that was violent, I would throw it away under their protest. If you can't do that, then how can you parent your child? I'd throw it out in the street. I'd stomp it, haul it to the wadi dump, and put it at the bottom of the barrel. Why? Because video games inspire. A young man who's been bullied, who is full of anxiety about having to face his bullies every day and would love to get revenge. He can take solace in that video game because in that video game, he has power. He shoots those suckers. He mows them down and he kills them with no regard for where they're going when they die. They're going to hell, most of them, as far as I can tell. But he mows them down, and he's in control, and they can't mess with him because he's got the stick in his hand. 
and the advertisements I've seen for some of these video games, it seems a weapon of choice is an assault rifle. And if he could get one of those and be that character, he could get even with a lot of people. So he feeds his depraved nature on that stuff right under the nose of their parents who allow this, who cannot understand why their child would do things that they do because of this gross ignorance, this turning of the head in the church of people who do not like to retain knowledge, who don't want to consider that the Bible might be right and we might be missing it by ignoring it. And this kid, one day, maybe he meets up with somebody else like him and they get together like at Columbine where they kill all of those kids. But one day it snaps. We don't know what happened. I don't know what happens. But he gives himself over to violence. He's seen it so much. How can you watch a football game without seeing one of these big fellows like me <laughs> just run into somebody and knock them out and then get over there and do this? Stuff? Like that finds the approval of this generation. Hurt people. Knock them out. Oh, make sure you watch the cage fight. When they put them in a cage and the gloves are just little bare things and you can kick with your feet and you can really just whale the fire out of somebody. Well, I wish I could do that. I put the rasters in a, a cage and let them beat each other with chairs. Now, I don't know how they do that. And I know, I know it's fake and it's a show but I still don't know how they can dive off the top of a ladder, land the way they land with somebody big as they are landing on top of them. I don't know how they do that. If somebody lands on me like that, my goodness. There's not much chance of that happening either. It's a violent age. I mean, you go to a hockey game to watch a fight. You said, man, I went to the fight tonight and saw a hockey game, somebody once said. Just want to see violence. The movie in which you just kill bunches of people. And I'm not talking about historical accounts of Civil War, all that. I'm just talking about made up stuff. Just killing people. Violence. Movies. Look at all these new movies today that had to do with killing, hurting, maiming, injuring people. Millions and millions of dollars they make on this stuff. The biggest business in that world is video games. A new movie came out and they had to gross, what, 80-something million? And the newest video game, I heard them talking about this on the radio the other day, came out and in two weeks it grossed all like two or three billion. There is some appetite that you young folks, your generation has that's warping people's minds until a person who was cowardly and timid or perhaps just nice and kind. Something snaps one day. He gets access to a, a gun. You don't need a gun. A man in China slashed 23 school children this past week. When you snap, you can use anything you want to use a car. You know, they want to outlaw guns or do whatever they can with guns. If somebody used a car bomb in this country, that we'd be in trouble if they outlawed cars. We'd have to name. If you got a mule and ran over somebody, that outlaw that. See, everybody is looking for something to blame. 
They say, well, the guns kill people. Guns kill nobody. People use guns to kill people. But you could use a lot of things. It's just a tragic day that we're in, but I deal with it because I see it, and I'm not going to run from it. I can't turn my head from it. i got a responsibility to talk to you about it, that we're living in that time. It's here. Not only are things violent in this world and people have this goal of being tough. Look at steroids. What do steroids do to people? They bulk up, and when they bulk up, their mind gets crazy. I'm not saying all of them do, but they're, you know, look how big I am. Then you hear about them getting in fights and getting violent nature, tense and troublesome. Violence comes into marriage and people are divorcing, afraid of each other. As it was in the days of Noah, you remember this? So shall it be at the time of the coming of the Son of Man. And two things were prevalent in the days of Noah. One was uncleanness, which is our next point, and violence. Violence, the Bible said, covered the earth, and it's going to be like that in the end. I'm telling you what we already are told is going to happen, and we should be aware of it and quit ignoring it or quit not dealing with it or making plans, uh, preparations in your heart to use what God gives you to deal with it so that you can deal with it. Uncleanness. Uncleanness. In my time as pastor, I've talked to a lot of uh, women, a number of you here, not all of you, but a few women here through the years that were molested as children. And the scar it left caused certain traits to happen in their life that we're trying to deal with. And young boys get molested. And spirits, unclean spirits, access themselves to these people. These young kids, they're innocent. And then things happen. And a unique, different, strange sexual idea begins to occur in their mind. They can either become sex craze and just that's all about that, or they can become the other way and turn to their own sex. It's a spirit, folks. There's a demon that's behind all of this. Jesus said, I'm coming that you might have life. Life. And he said, the thief comes. To kill and to steal and destroy. Now, we know that. We just saw things happen that were demonic. You can't blame God for any of that. It's just from people. But we're living in a time in which it's okay to be homosexual or gay. Or it's okay, I guess, to watch porn. Probably not, but it's big deal. Big business in this country is pornography because there are people who are addicted to it. And any kind of addiction like that is always, without exception, always demonic, spirit-led, inspired. And you're not dealing with a preference. You're dealing with a demon that leads man to that. And a man gives himself to that so much, and he won't turn away when God warns him. So as he said here in uh, Romans 1, God gives him up. We can't accept that, can we? That couldn't be, but your Bible says it twice. God gave them up. Now, what hope do they have then? If God isn't going to switch directions that people go, if he's not going to employ his divine power and influence in somebody's life, who's going to change them? All most people can do is weep. 
weep and wring their hands and cry out to God, why? Well, you didn't have any concern about these things happening when you were warned about it. But when it does happen and you've ignored it and you didn't like to retain it in your mind, you can't figure it out. Somebody said, well, the devil did that. that that's, I don't buy that because you've turned away from it. Difficult times also because of corruption. Who do you trust today? You trust the government? You trust the banks, loan companies? You trust the oil companies? You trust them? There's so much corruption, so much taking advantage of people. We hear about lies and deceit later on. and We didn't know any better. We're just a trusting society. These are perilous times. These are things that cause people to, to snap. Political things. Money. A young man goes to Congress, goes to the United States Congress, and he's a fireball. He was elected because he's going to do something about it. And the time he gets in his office and gets settled, there's a package or a little envelope on his desk. Another one comes in next week. He's been in office for one year. He's a millionaire. Where's his fire? Somebody bought it. And that aggravates us. And then you feel like, oh, I ain't right because it taxed me and get all my money and my parents lost this and that. These people, I and you just snap. These things happen. And then there's the result of all this is stress, pressure, and one of the biggest problems in the world, the drugs. Over-the-counter drugs, on-the-street drugs. It's a sign that man cannot cope, can't cope with life. He needs a drug to alter who he is and how he deals with things. A football player making well over a million dollars driving a $300,000 car comes in from a drinking night to his girlfriend's house and shoots her. They argue, unreasonable, just shoots her, bang, 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 bang goes to where he works and shoots himself. What's going on? Well, let's read it. God has already for the church defined the kind of people that are going to be in the last days. Men's hearts really are going to fail them because of fear. Most people cannot cope. It's called stress. It's called worry. It's called anxiety. It's called fear. It's called apprehension. It's things that control people until no matter what God says, you just can't see God doing anything about it. And what are we going to do? And so you arm yourself. You get more locks, a big dog, big teeth, something. And you're still scared. You're still full of fear. We're warned. You've already told us all of this. Now let me ask you a question. I want to close. What do we do? Here, Shelbyville Christian Assembly. Perhaps those who are watching this morning. What do we do? We've just seen something happen. It may take years to forget, if we ever do. I have embedded in my mind the picture of little girls and the picture of a, of a man killing people and parents that are full of grief and sorrow and anguish. So what are we going to do? 
not about that over there, but what are we going to do in light of all that's happened? Is there anything we can do? Let me say this. Just as people think if they can get rid of a firearm, we can stop the violence, it's not the gun. It's the people. It's the people who use it. In Ephesians 6, didn't he say, we wrestle not? We're not wrestling with firearms. It's not flesh and blood. It's not people. That young man, yes, he was who the devil used. I have no deep hatred for that boy. I don't. I don't know him, wouldn't know him, don't want to know him. But I, I have no deep hatred for him. Because I recognize as a Christian the spiritual side of me now. The part of me that thinks about this in light of what Scripture says. He was used by the devil to do all these dastardly things. But it was the spirit in him, like Ephesians 6. We're not wrestling with people. We're wrestling with spirits of lawlessness that control a demonic system that seeks out people it can use. The devil goes about like a roaring lion, doesn't he? He's looking for somebody he can use. Somebody who can start their life by just sassing and then wanting to get even. It just start there. Forget about forgiveness and I'm sorry. Just hold on to your anger. Use somebody like that. Surely there's kids like that in here. Surely I can use your kid. Surely we don't want our kids to turn the other cheek, so let's teach them how to fight back. Come on. Pop them in the mouth. Doesn't Facebook show lots of fights now? Girls fighting. You ever seen a girls fight? It's kind of funny, some of them, but not knowing how. Well, they shouldn't. And then the boys fight. Who wants to be gentle and kind and meek and temperate? Who wants to go through life looked down upon as a nice person? He's a really nice guy. Who wants that? I want to bulk up so they say, ooh, he's bad. Bad to the bone. We wrestle not. I tell myself this. I'm not fighting people. I'm not fighting that bad attitude that I see in some people through the years or that ugly person. What I'm dealing with is what's controlling that person, him or her. The spirit that has been able to come into that person's life and manifest himself in that person. And he starts with lying and deceit and goes to rebellion and then leads to worse things. Stealing, lying, cheating, hatefulness, anger. We're just told that we're going to fight. There's a real devil out there today, folks. There's a real being called Satan. He really is a true person. He really does have an, a myriad of demons that he uses to occupy people, to control people, to manifest filth and error and ugliness in this world to bring as much sorrow and grief to all of our lives as he can. And when you get taught right, you should be able to deal with that so that he can't do that to you. 
Now, if that what I just said isn't true, we need to go home and forget it. Either we have been equipped to keep that from happening with, to us, or we can't do anything about it. I've been warned. I know what kind of people are. I know how this works. And I'm told that I'm not fighting against flesh and blood, but I'm fighting against an unseen foe that inhabits people or animals. That I'm dealing with the devil. And I surely have something I can deal with him with. Like James 4, 7. He said, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Now, if the devil is behind evil and wickedness and harm and injury and death, if the devil's behind all of that, I have a weapon I can use against him. I should not be victimized by him as a Christian if what God has said, I believe it. He said, resist the devil and he will flee from me. Whatever he does and wants to do, he will not be able to do it to me. If I resist him. Now, in order for me to resist him, I've got to know how. Teach me. Don't spare me. Teach me. I don't care what mistakes you saw me make last year or how bad I, what I just went through. Teach me the truth so I don't have to go through that again. Like 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 where it says, Your adversary the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, whom resist, like James 4, 7 says, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Do you believe that you are more than a conqueror? Do you? Do you believe that God has said you are more than conquerors through Christ? That in the eyes of God, his way for you is to conquer, not to be conquered. It's to prevail, not to be defeated. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Was that Psalm 3 song, one of the best songs in all the psalms? Many are they that rise up against me. Lord, are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. We're talking about demons. Many are they who say of my soul, there was no help for you in God. You Christians are no different than the people were over there. The same thing happened to them can happen to you. You can't say it won't happen. But thou, O Lord, art a shield. For me, the glory and the lifter of my head, I will not fear. I will not turn my back. For all the armaments of warfare go on the front. The back was made for beating. The back, that's what they beat on Jesus. And the lower part of the back is for children to make them mind. There was a time you could do that. Now they put you in jail, I guess. But this is what the Bible teaches us. I do not have to be a victim. I do not have to be another statistic in the devil's pocket. I can overcome the devil specifically by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and by testifying to his power.
If nobody teaches me that and I don't even know what I'm talking about, then you can't use that. The devil has already hidden these things from you so that you have no weapon. But the weapons that God gave are, are for victory. We shall prevail. We shall overcome. Overcomers are what we are. We overcome. He said in Isaiah 54, he said, No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Whether it be a rifle, a pistol, a car bomb, poisonous gas, terrorist. He said, there's no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. I don't know if anybody in the church believes that. I really don't. I really don't know who believes that. But I choose to believe that. The devil has no right to me. I do not want to give place to him because he seeks place. And he gained it the other day. He did. Would you turn to 91st Psalm as we close? Psalm 91. What marvelous equipment in the form of words that God has given to his people. Psalm 91 and verse 5. You should not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. Do we have to be afraid of the terror and the weapons and the ways of the terrorists? Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, verse 6, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. How tragic that must be. How tragic that must be. But he said, you specifically shall not be afraid of that. You mean I don't have to fear that, Lord? No. Look at verse 10. There shall no evil befall thee, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Who's this for? Who was this written to? See, this is how you learn. I want that. How do I get it? We'll go back and start the very first verse. He that dwelleth. He's referring to you. It's a choice you have to make. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. Well, where's that? Well, you better find it. Learn what that means. Because the, man, the blessings that follow that are numerous. We just read some of them. One of them is we don't have to be afraid of destruction. Verse 11. Oh, you've got to like this. Claim this. Read it and desire it. God says concerning you. Concerning you. He will give charge to his angels to keep you in all your ways. You mean when I get up in the morning, when I lay my head at rest, that from morning to night, to noon, to the day and through the night, that I have somebody watching me? I was told in the news that with each family that lost a child, there was a policeman assigned to that family to keep the, I'll call them media. I have worse names for them. Heartless people. Heartless people. 
many of them, many of them, who are just rude, snapping pictures wherever they can get one and getting the most awful look on their face they can so they can play on that. They're out there. They're out there. But he shall give his angels charge concerning you. They're with you. They're here this morning in this room. They're here right now as I speak. So is Jesus. He's in this room. And they shall keep you in all your ways. When your kids go to school, when you go to town, go to church, when you come to meet, they guard the door. They'll keep you in all of your ways. You got to like that. In verse 16, he said, with long life, with long life, I will satisfy you. I can't explain how long, long life is. David was 70 years old, and the Bible said he was full of days. I'm 73, and I still feel young. Er. But he said, with long life, he'll satisfy me. Satisfy. It was worth it. You enjoyed it. You reached the end of your goal with a smile on your face. Wouldn't you like to do that? Take solace in this, that we are kept. Peter writes that we are kept by the power of God through faith until the last day. It's the desire of God to keep you intact, not to keep you from troubles and things that are going to come at you, but to protect you and keep you from disaster, to keep you from having to deal with these kind of things. Well, let me close with this for those people over there. If you turn to Psalms 34, I will stop. This will be it. Psalms 34, if you go back from Psalm 91 to Psalms 34 and verse 18. This is a compassionate statement that God makes. He said, the Lord is near. The Lord is near to those that have a broken heart. And save as such as we have a contrite spirit. There's a broken heart because of sin that leads to salvation. There's a broken heart because of a tragedy which seldom gets healed. But I do believe God cares about suffering people. And I do believe that there is a side of us that should care too. I cannot tell you in closing this morning how badly I personally feel for those people who lost their children the way they had to lose them and have to deal with it this time of year the way they're going to deal with it. And I pray that they'll be able to get through all of this. And we're going to pray for them now. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, from this little place we're in today, we send up to you our prayer. First of all, for those people over in Connecticut whose hearts truly are broken, their sorrow and their grief is beyond our understanding. Pray for your comfort for them. That there could be what we call a breakthrough for all of them, that this sorrow will not last forever, but they'll get through this. 
And I especially pray that they will find forgiveness in their heart and realize that it's not the boy, it was the devil that was the culprit here. Lord, I pray that each one of these 20 little blessed children are in heaven this morning. I pray that they are, that they'll never have to go through anything ever again in their life. I pray, Lord, for this congregation right here, these people that I stand before all the time. I pray, Lord, that they, that they will take heed to what you're saying. That they'll become warriors for the faith, using their shields that quench all these fiery darts. That they will resist the devil and he'll flee from them and their homes. And that concerning this assembly, no evil shall befall anybody here. Your angels will watch over each one of us here and our children. You keep us in all of our ways. I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for these people. I thank you for the privilege that I've had with them. And may it be now the beginning of a stronger life and a preparation for the coming of the Lord. May the days ahead prepare us for that. I ask you to bless us this day and for the rest of our lives to become spiritual people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. You're my rock. You're my fortress. You're my deliverer. In you will I trust. people said amen Amen. well before you leave this morning if you have one of these little kids hug them a little bit before you go and then turn to somebody and say God is faithful Amen. amen